So that's uh, it's important to say this. Mm. It's one of those days. I don't know how this works. Like, why do I need coffee so bad when it's so beautiful out? Because um, I, I think for, like everybody just wants to be outside. It was like pulling teeth trying to make everybody come in this morning. But you, you're here, and I really appreciate it. I'm going to honor your, your time, and we're just going to pray and leave. No, I'm just joking. No, we're, we're going we're gonna to do this, and then you can do your mountain biking and your hiking and, you know, sunbathing. I don't No one's doing that, right? You don't need to do that because you're going to be crispy by the end of the summer because you're just going to get hot and you're going to burn yourself. It's going to be good. Amen. Yes, it's speaking in faith. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. There will be sun. Okay, well, enough with that. Um, we are still at it today. Um, we're going to do uh, this week of Everyday Discipleship Series, and then next week Bob's going to teach on, on serving, and it's going to be really good. And then we're going to move on back into Acts for a little bit. Uh, so I'm really excited about Acts. I feel like, I feel like I'm like itching to get back into it, um, and I feel like I have a lot to say. So in two weeks, the first, uh, June 5th or something like that, and we'll be back into that. So looking forward to that. Uh, but come out uh, next week for Bob. But we're, we're continuing on in this Everyday Discipleship series. And we've been examining, right? We've been thinking through the disciplines uh, that uh, disciples of Jesus uh, try to practice in their lives. And these are just things that are pretty clearly indicated in Scripture. Although there isn't like a handbook chapter in Scripture of these are all the things that disciples do. We just learn by reading the text that as Jesus taught people to do uh, and follow him, uh, he, he taught them to do certain things. And, and and we see in, in, in the rest of the New Testament, in Paul's letters, he's teaching the disciples to do things, to practice disciplines. Um, and we've looked at a few different ones. We've looked at uh, prayer, at worship, uh, silence and solitude. We looked at, at grief, which is kind of a non-traditional discipline. But these are things that I think, if you're a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, someone who's intending to follow Jesus, you should try to some degree, to integrate these things into your life. And that's all I'm really challenging you guys to do, is to think about the way that you're practicing disciplines in order to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, and, but I just really want to be clear, and I feel like I've said something like this a, a couple different times. You give like the same intro like eight times, and then you're ready for the next series. That's how I feel right now. Um, it is not so that you can have, like my, my uh, daughter is in, brownies, right? And so she has this sash, right? And she put on the sash, she puts, puts little merit badges. Disciplines are not Christian merit badges. They're not these things that you can say, oh, look, look how spiritual I am. And look how great I am. Like, like it, there's nothing performative about disciplines. You can do them or you cannot. It's entirely up to you. No one's going to check your card or check your, check your sash at the door. Um, you don't want discipline so that you can be a super Christian, you need discipline because spiritual disciplines are the things that develop your character as a follower of Jesus. They're the things that I, pr I promise you, like, like your satisfaction in your Christian life will rise and fall on if you pray and if you worship and if you do these things. Be because it's so easy to go through your entire life, and I've spent a lot of my life doing it, just not growing. And then you find, as you do that, it's really unsatisfying. Be, being a Christian without any discipline in your life, and again, disciplines like this, weirder, but the disciplines of knowing God, of enjoying his presence, it's a miserable thing. I wouldn't wish it upon you. <laughs> being somebody who just says, well, I've got my merit badges, like the merit badges aren't it. It's about knowing the Lord. It's about really developing a relationship with him. That's what these disciplines do. 
We get to know him, and then we get transformed by being in his presence. That's what it is. That's why we do these things. Just a reminder, you know, big surprise, you've seen this slide before. Uh, Dallas Willard defines spiritual disciplines this way. He says, spiritual disciplines are activities within our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort if you want to be a mature Christian, if you want to be somebody who has a quality relationship with the Lord then you practice disciplines because they're the things of just enjoying his grace. Having a relationship with God, a true and genuine relationship with God, it will transform us. Doing stuff for God will not. He doesn't need you to do stuff for him. He wants you to enjoy his presence and have a real relationship with him. Being with God, welcoming his presence into your life. That's what changes you. Checking off duties so that God won't be mad at us doesn't because that's not how he operates. A lot of us need to get that out of our head that God just has all these expectations for us. Like he, he needs our merits. He doesn't. He doesn't. He wants you to enjoy him. He wants followers to enjoy him, people who are satisfied in knowing him and being transformed as they get to know him more. So today we're going to talk about one particular discipline. It's an extremely important one, and it's just Bible intake or just like reading scripture, spending time in this book, this very important book, getting it into our heads. And there's a couple different ways that we can do that, and we'll just, we'll just talk through that. Now, um, I have to be honest like I was going through my list of disciplines, um, and, and I, this is, this is bad, Pastor, but I wasn't like super excited about it. This was a struggle writing this message, um, mostly because talking about reading isn't very flashy, right? Talking about reading, there's almost no other conversation that could be more boring than talking about reading. Um, there aren't any Netflix shows about reading. They, they don't, I, I checked, none. There are some about books, though, so that's, but I don't think anyone watches them, so. Um, the cool kids aren't out on the street, you know, with, with copies of Dostoevsky, you know, d- digging into it. And, and as a reader, as a reader, a person who likes to read, I know that there's a lot of anti-reader discrimination in the world. I've experienced it myself, although maybe less so in Seattle, because you guys are nerds. Yeah. So, you know, but embrace it. I like it. I like it here. Um, Even as you read the Gospels, right, even as you read the accounting of Jesus' life and the disciples' life, um, Jesus was was, was studying the Scriptures. We know that for sure. Um, We know that he was immersed in God's Word from day to day because he was constantly quoting it and constantly teaching about about the Old Testament Scriptures, Scriptures as as he had it. Um, But you don't ever really see, like, a sentence, Jesus went away and read. Like, that, that isn't, because that would be a boring sentence, and people would be like, okay, moving on. Like, but we know for sure that Jesus was spending time in scriptures. He had it in his head. He had it in his heart. It was coming out of his mouth. And we see the fruit of that, you know. John 7, 15, it says this, the Jews, the, the Jews that he was teaching were amazed and said, how is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? Like, Jesus just was innately drawn to scriptures. He wasn't formally trained in them, but he was in them all the time. Matthew 7, 28 and 29, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes, right? So, so Jesus is coming in. He's, he's gathered people around him. He's, he's teaching them about the Bible and how they should understand their relationship with God. And they're just astonished by what's going on. You know, he, he was, had authority. So like, like the, 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 the scribal way of teaching was, was really like, 
I'm going to tell you this scripture, and then this is what this rabbi says, and this is what this rabbi says, and this is what this rabbi says, and, and I guess it's something like that. Whereas Jesus would unpack the scriptures and say, this is what this means. He, he, he knew them intimately in a way that other people in his days, who, whose job it was to be in scriptures, did not know. He had familiarity with God's words, a deep familiarity that only comes through spiritual discipline of study, of immersing yourself in the word. He taught his disciples to do the same thing, actually. One example we see is when Jesus has been uh, resurrected. He's he's going along. He finds two disciples who don't recognize him, which is pretty funny. Um, And then he leads them through, like, the greatest Bible study ever. We read about it in Luke 24. He says, how foolish are you? Jesus was so direct. How foolish you and are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into glory? A rhetorical question meaning, you should know this. You've read it. You know it. You understand it, right? And then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. See, what Jesus demonstrates over and over and over again is that the scriptures were extremely important to him and his life and his spiritual walk with God and to his disciples, people who were going to follow after him in his example. And his instruction to them, the disciples, was always to believe. Like that was the orientation that they were to have towards these scriptures. They're supposed to know them, understand them, and believe them. They're supposed to have faith in what God was saying through them, through the prophets. He's, he's teaching that, he teaches the disciples to have faith all the time. It's probably like the main uh, discipleship attribute he's trying to call out in these people. To have faith in what God has spoken in scriptures through the prophets, through the word. But I think it's worth asking. I feel like it, it was really, it's a really important question for me to ask how that really works in your life and in my life. How does it really work to, to believe, to, to read Scripture, have faith in it, to, to do what Jesus commends and, and, and tells these disciples to do? Because belief is, I think, is sort of a funny thing. It's a little bit of a conundrum um, because to the extent the belief is, is a mental act, Right? We're getting a little philosophical here. The extent of belief is a, a mental act that involves kind of just like assessing and weighing the probability of a set of ideas or propositions. I think experientially, different people have different ease with that. So what I'm saying is that like, to the extent that we think of belief as just, just saying, okay, well, the Bible says this, I think it's true, Okay, I, I believe, I think different people have different experiences of that. I know Christians who have such an easy time of opening up the Bible saying, there it is, black and white, I believe. Like, and that's easy for them. And I know really sincere Christians who open up the Bible and they just struggle. They struggle to believe. Some people read the Bible, they can believe, they accept it as both reliable and plausible. And they aren't really bothered by the claims in Scripture, right? And other people, and you know them, and I know them, maybe you're one of them, read the Bible, and they've got so many questions, just so many questions, and they're nagging questions. And they wonder if uh, there's a really enough basis to believe the things in Scripture. And all of that is complicated, right, by, by the, the many apologetic questions. Apologetics is just, just the, uh, 
apologia, like we get our, our word apology from it. It's just an explanation, really, right? And so, so we have apologetic questions about Scripture, which is how do we explain the things which maybe appear inconsistent or appear difficult to believe, right? We have all kinds of apologetic questions about Scripture. Three categories, I think, are, are, are kind of where they come from. Number one is that this stuff happened a long time ago. And so we have questions about the reliability of Scripture. Can we really say with any degree of certainty that these things happened, especially considering the distance historically? And then we have questions about the reliability of the Scriptures as we have them. Were they transmitted through time, right, from Moses all the way up to us right now? Were they reliably translated? Do we have Scriptures as we should have them, right? That's an area, an question, an area where people have questions. And then, of course, there's the content of the scriptures themselves, the claims that they make, because there's some supernatural things. And if you are involved in a really naturalistic culture like we have, where we don't really like the idea of the supernatural, although I think increasingly that's changing too, then you have a lot of questions about those things. And I'm not going to actually dig in too deeply about all those issues, but I just want to acknowledge that they are obstacles to belief for some people. But I would say that there are answers to those questions. And if you're the sort of person who, like, man, primarily has apologetic questions, there are, there are ways to answer those questions. And frankly, a lot of Christians are just ignorant. They think, oh, well, I just have to take it on faith. No, there are really, I, 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 there are lots of things we need to take by faith, right? There are some things that simply are just about trusting God. But those questions like that, those things can be overcome. There are really good scholarship, not, not just like some guy in Missouri deciding that, oh, I, I've just, I figured it all out. But like, and I, I, I'm sorry, I'm being a little bit of an elitist here. Um, sorry if you're from Missouri. I'm sorry, I apologize. Sorry. <laughs> um, but like real... Oh boy, I'm so snobby. I'm from the East Coast, guys. You should have known. I'm from Connecticut. You, you probably thought I was a snob, and here I am confirming it to you. Uh, but there are real learned, like extremely deep and well-tested um, scholars who are answering these questions. And I would encourage you, if you need some help navigating those questions, I that's what that library is there for. I know this just, just showed up one day and I haven't talked about it yet, but we're put, trying to assemble a library so that you guys can have resources to answer those questions. But even beyond that, like if you're the sort of person who struggles with, with, with just like the questions in, in the Bible, I just want to say like, I'm kind of sorry. I feel bad for you. I feel bad uh, for you to a degree because it sort of seems unfair. Doesn't it seem unfair that for some people, believing is very easy, and then for some people, sincere people, equally sincere people, it is not? That just seems a little unfair. It seems unfair that a belief in scriptures, um, that if belief in scriptures is just getting your head around certain propositions in the Bible, uh, that some people seem to be just temperamentally more inclined to it. That seems a little unfair. But here's the thing. It's a little bit of good news, bad news, okay? The good news is that I think there's hope for you even if you have a lot of questions and you have uh, a lot of questions asked. The bad news is this. I think that most of us, both of those who have an easy time believing and those who don't uh, because of their temperaments, have actually, we've all, to a large extent, 
kind of misunderstood, I think, what faith really involves. So we're all in a rough situation. So welcome to the club. Look, let me tell you this. The Pharisees, kind of the bad guys in the Gospels, not really, like Jesus still loved them and had a lot of hope for them, but they weren't exactly lifted up as the example of, of like mature Christ, Christianity, mature faith, right? But the Pharisees totally believed the Bible. They believed it. They were, they were certain of what it said, and they were certain that they understood what it all meant, and they didn't have any questions about the reliability. They trusted God, and they were so into trusting God that they made sure everybody knew that they really trusted God, right? They believed that God had parted the seas and brought Israel uh, out of Egypt. They believed it 100%. They were confident that that happened. They believed that God created the world in the way he described in the book of Genesis, for the most part. Some of them actually quibbled. But they believed all the stuff. But over and over again, they're told by Jesus that they lack faith. Kind of makes you think that maybe this whole faith thing that Jesus is talking about isn't exclusively about kind of accepting propositional truths. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit more than that. And I'm not suggesting it's unimportant to believe the claims of Scripture. I really do think that is important, and I think if you have questions, you should get them answered. It is important. There are propositional things, like the resurrection Paul makes really clear. Like that's You can't go if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. There's no hope for you in the Christian faith if you don't believe certain things about what Jesus says. But I, I'm not suggesting that it's not important to believe the claims of scriptures, but I am suggesting that the kind of belief that Jesus had and that he taught the disciples to have is actually much more, I think, fundamental and much more broad and expansive than we think. In fact, I think when Jesus is teaching the disciples to believe the prophets and the scriptures, what he's actually teaching them is to believe what they all mean. Like, and what they mean for their lives. Like, it's, like, it's a good to, to accept, like, certain things that the Bible says are true. And, yeah, we, we should do that. But if we don't accept that these things are true and, therefore, your life needs to be totally changed as a result, then I think we're not living by faith. Because faith is more than just understanding the content of Scripture. It's understanding that the content and the truths that it claims actually mean something Something so much bigger. If we're going to believe the Bible, we are being called to believe more than just a set of facts about history. We're actually called to believe that there is a bigger story that goes on and continues on today, an open-ended story that God is telling and writing and he is a part of and we are a part of ourselves. We can locate ourselves in that big story and that's a big part of faith. And if we're missing out on that, I think we're missing out on the really most important and essential parts of it. I've got a long quote, but a good one. So be patient, okay? It's a guy by, by the name of Richard Bauckham. He's one of those Oxford-educated you know, scholars I was talking to you about, and he's very, I mean, he's very impressive. Um, I just love reading his stuff. Okay, he says this. The one comprehensive category within which we can locate all the biblical materials is that of story, meaning the total biblical story and the world, uh, of the world and God's purposes for it, stretching from creation to new creation. And this is the big, this is the emphasis here. That is, it sketches in narrative form the meaning of all reality. To accept the authority of this story is to enter it and to inhabit it. It is to live in the world as the world is portrayed in the story. 
It is to let this story define our identity and our relationship to God and to others. It is to read the narratives of our own lives and of the societies in which we live as narratives that take their meaning from this bigger story that overarches them all. To accept this bigger story as the one within which we live is to see the world differently and to live within, a different, uh, live within it differently from the way we would if we inhabited another story or framework of universal meaning. He's making this point, saying that actually if we look at what all scriptures is, and scripture is like a funny book, like it's 66 different books and they're different sorts of books, like some are narrative, some are, you know, poetry, some are kind of history, they, they, some are letters, right? And so how do you say, well, this, these things have one meaning? He says the one meaning that they all share is that they all paint a picture of reality as it actually is. They make claims about what is ultimately true about things back then and things right now. These these, these scriptures show us the world as it really is. See, the belief that Jesus had, his belief in the scriptures and the prophets was not just a belief in a set of facts that described the world, just some things that, oh, if we, if we check off these boxes and say we agree with these things, we, we call that faith. Rather, he believed the facts and he understood them as true, but he understood that the facts reveal to us that the world is not what we think it is. It's actually something where God is so active and working in a way that we're so often blind to. If we believe the Bible as Jesus teaches us, then we come to understand our lives actually being a part of the story, connected to the story that God is involved in as well, and interacting with the same God who is acting as scriptures. We are continuing to act along with that that God, like we are seeing him work. And that's great news because it means that your life can have meaning. It can have significance as you put faith in the story of this God who's moving in the world and revealing himself through Jesus Christ. But the bad news is, and it is bad news if you would simply prefer to have faith that's just about believing a set of things about historical past events that don't really make a difference in your life. It would be bad news if you want, uh, if you want that to be faith. The bad news is that I, I just think like if you, if you just like think that understanding the Bible is just like accepting things that don't make a difference in your life right now, I'm not sure if you have faith. I think that's bad news. If you want that, the good news is that you're invited to something way better than that. And I'm not trying to guilt trip you, by the way. I don't want to do that. Um, but I do want you to hear that invitation loud and clear. Faith is something much bigger than just believing some things about things in the past. They say prophets, they, prophets like comforted uh, the afflicted and afflicted the comfortable. So maybe we're, I'm, I'm afflicting the comfortable a little bit right now. The scriptures are, are good news and bad news. Good news, the God who set Israel free is still setting people free. He's still working. He's still moving right here in the Puget Sound area. The bad news is that he actually exists and he's actually calling people to wake up from their malaise and listen to him. And if you prefer to just like be blind to that, it's bad news because God has a, an invitation on your life. He's got a calling in your life to just wake up to the reality of who he is. I think that's actually good news, right? It's bad news if you don't want to, if you don't want to wake up. I had trouble waking up this morning, so that feels very real to me. But it's good news because, because the fact is you aren't on your own. Your belief isn't about merely, merely 
accepting a, a set of facts about life, it is actually so much broader than that. It is about entering into reality as it's portrayed in the Bible. And that's what we do. That's the aim as we intake scripture and get it into our hearts and in our heads. But as you enter in, like as you get the scripture in your mind and you start to understand what God is like, because it's just God revealing himself to people. As you do that, you get to meet God there and he begins to prove to you who he is. We are invited to have that kind of relationship with God where we can test him a little bit. God doesn't mind being tested a little bit because he makes promises and he intends to fulfill them. And we can take the, the, what, what, what feels like risk, right, in order to let God be God. Another Richard Bauckham thing, what he, what he says, this is this, the spirit who inspired the scriptures also inspires its believing readers to accept it as God's message and to understand it. This can be understood to mean that as the spirit inspires our Christian living and thinking, leading us further into the experience of what the Bible teaches, so we find the Bible making more sense to us existentially, intellectually, and imaginatively. As the Spirit actualizes the Word of God in our lives, so the Word of God authenticates itself to us. There's a kind of hermeneutical, which is like a scriptural understanding, circle of authority and experience. I just love that. I just love that. Guys, you know, you don't just need to white-knuckle it. Say, these things are true! What you do is you, you come into the word and you start to understand who God reveals himself to be, how he revealed himself to be in the very beginning, like how he revealed himself in, in, in Genesis, like in Exodus to Israel. And then you understand how he revealed himself through the prophets and how he revealed himself most fully in Jesus Christ. You start to understand who he is and get an idea of what his character is like and what he can be trusted with and the sort of things that he's asking for people. And then you start to say, okay, I'm not fully comfortable with 100%, but Lord, I can trust you with something. Here's something, I'm gonna trust you with it. And you're gonna find as you trust God with it as, as he is, like the things with which he has said he's going to be trustworthy with, the promises that he's made, you put those things on the line and you'll find he's faithful. And then next time, you're going to be listening to him. You're going to be practicing spiritual disciplines. You're going to be developing this relationship with him where you're hearing him and you're, you're, you're desiring to get over your flesh and your, and your unbelief and the things that like get in the way. You're like, my laziness, my laziness, trying to get over these things, you know. And, 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 but then suddenly, like, you're, you're going to hear the Lord put things on your heart and, and, and speak to you in whatever way you can kind of discern. And then you're going to start to say, okay, he's, I feel like maybe, maybe God is asking me for this. And so you're going to trust him with it. And you're going to find that, yes, he was, and he's faithful. So you, like, you don't just have to say, okay, I'm just going to swallow this thing whole. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. What you start to say is that what this book does is it tells me who God is, and I can start to understand and experience him in my everyday life. And then I'm going to start to trust this more and more because he's proven himself over and over and over again. Guys, faith is not just saying, okay, I believe the facts. I believe the basics. It's not. It's I believe the facts. I believe what God has said about himself, how he's revealed himself to be, and so I'm going to treat him as he, as he expresses he wants to be treated in, in worship and in love and in pursuit. And I'm going to find that as I draw near to him, he draw near to, draws near to me, which is what he promises. 
we can and we need to understand that God calls us more than just to yeah, believe some stuff about who he is, but we need to experience that stuff and trust him and let him prove that he actually exists. Hebrews eleven six, one one of my favorite verses. Faith, it, uh, now without faith, it's impossible to please God since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Such a simple verse, but so true. Like if you conceive of, of God as someone who has no impact on your day-to-day life, then you actually don't believe that God exists. I hate to tell you, right? Well, I mean, maybe he does exist, but who cares? Like he's, he's totally distant from you. We believe by faith and we please God when we believe by faith, trusting that he does exist. And that as we seek out to honor him, we seek out to worship him. We seek out to know him through practicing spiritual disciplines, through, through prayer, and through just seeking his grace in, in the everyday, day-to-day stuff of life. We find that he rewards us. And it's not merit badge reward. It's, I'm going to know you more. I'm going to show myself to you even more. I'm going to show how faithful I am. And you learn to trust that God who exists. And you get to start telling everybody who knows who they don't even know God exists about how he really does exist and he's awesome. One of the primary ways we come into relationship with God, this kind of relationship with God, where we know he exists though, is by immersing ourselves in his word. By just letting the word become kind of our world and shaping our world to the point where it's bringing us towards greater faith. We read, we listen, and we learn, and as we do that, our faith develops. So I just want to, yeah, quickly highlight kind of just three areas, um, and, and there may be a few other, other ways that we can intake Scripture, okay? So the first is that uh, we meditate on Scripture. Uh, Joshua 1.8, you know, this is uh, God's command to Joshua. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to what is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. And I, you know, I, I mean, I know there's, we want to be cautious about the word prosperity and success because there's kind of some, you know, negative connotations, understandably so. Um, but the fact is that God calls us to a, a, a rooted, prosperous, fruitful faith. Like, calls us to a relationship with him where we are just being filled up with his spirit. And what God's command here to Joshua is that just put the law, my law, my word revealed to you. Keep it in your mouth. Keep it in your mind. Meditate on it day and night. And it's going to, by some amazing process of God's grace, going to yield these things. Success, prosperity, and I don't think that necessarily means financially, but it might um, but absolutely, it's going to be, mean that our, as we meditate on the word, we're going to be transformed by it. We're going to grow in our faith in God by it. And it's just a day and night sort of thing, right? It's a day and night sort of thing. So you don't just have like a 35 minutes on Sunday, 40 minutes on Sunday where the pastor talks to you about the Bible, right? Uh, but you're day and night. You're doing this yourself. You're getting the word into your head. And there are so many ways to do that. Like, I can't even like, I, I could spend 45 minutes just talking to you about the, the, the tools that you have available. Um, but honestly, just like with all disciplines, it's like put it on your calendar 
Come up with a plan. Find the right time where you can just get the word in. It's not about, it's not about quantity here. Meditation is not about quantity. You're not going to win by having reading three to five chapters, uh, uh, unless that's what you're really called to, and you're able to do that, great. But like just a little bit of God's word, like reminding yourself of God's promises, getting them into your heart, uh, memorizing scripture, thinking about it throughout your day, it's going to transform your life with God. Again, not because you earned a merit badge, not because, oh, oh, I memorized a scripture this week. Look how special I am, Lord. You really owe me now. No, but because as the word, which points me to the God who exists, gets in my heart and gets in my mind, I start to be reminded of the fact that, oh yeah, he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So like, I can trust him with things because it is so easy to go through life totally blind of God's existence. Again, I've spent so long in my Christian life doing exactly that. And I always come up with new ways to do it. Isn't that funny? I come up with new ways to distract myself from God's presence. And so the discipline of getting the word into my heart and my mind day by day, it's helpful. Again, we can do that through memorization. We can do that through apps. There are some great apps, killer apps that help us with that. Uh, One that I like is uh, Lectio 365. It's put out by the uh, 24-7 prayer movement. And they have like a morning and evening like prayer, uh, like like just a a little word and then a quick devotional about it. And then you just like think about it and they encourage you to pray pray through it a little bit, right? And it's just like takes 10 minutes, morning and evening. You can just do one or do do the other. Um, But there's great ways to just build in meditation on scripture into your life. And then I I mentioned memorization a couple times, but there are verses that are important to you. There are verses that God has given you in your life that were just like major encouragements to you. You should just have those in your head so that you can have them all the time. So you don't even have to read them, just memorize them. I know some people don't like to memorize things. I actually don't really particularly like to memorize things, but it's really not hard. You really can do it, and it will really be fruitful. So there's meditation on Scripture, you know, and again, that's just like make a plan, build it into your life. The second thing uh, that I think is really important is just studying Scripture. That's different than meditating on Scripture. Studying Scripture is, is taking this book, right, all right, so, so when I meditate, I, I'm looking for like maybe just like a couple verses, right? I'm wanting these things in my head. Like they, they're, they're meaningful. I don't need, I don't have questions about them. They actually make a lot of sense to me. So I meditate on those things, like because God has revealed them to be true. And so I can trust them. And so I can put them deep in my head. Studying scripture is where we say, oh, geez, uh, Jeremiah, Lord you're going to have to answer some of these questions about what the heck Jeremiah was talking about, right? And so we go ahead and we read it. Like, these are long books. There's a lot of context in them. That's why reading Scripture is sometimes difficult, because there's historical context. So studying Scripture involves studying the historical context of Scripture. So that when Jeremiah says something about, you know, Rehoboam, you can say, I know who Rehoboam is because I've studied the word of God and I've understood a little bit about history and I've understood about how these things fit together. And I've started to develop also a theology, the T word, one of my favorite words, Um, a theology, which is to to, to say like a really like a a comfortable understanding of, of who God is, a knowledge of who God is. Like theo is the Greek word for God. Logos is the Greek word for word or, or, or knowledge, right? So it's a knowledge about God. I, I understand his character a little bit beyond simply like 
pointing to, to some scriptures in the Bible, like I start to be able to talk and understand um, and explain what God's grace is like, like why I'm saved, on what basis, on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ, right? I start to understand what's this connection between this New Testament and this Old Testament because they seem like very different kind of categories. Like how are they connected? By studying the word, I get these questions answered and the, they're out there. The resources are out there. Again, we got a library. And if you want to grow in that, like there's ways to grow in that. It is going to take some work though, right? It's going to take some work. You don't have to do it at like an amazingly high level, but ultimately I think we, 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 start, to under, we start to get excited about studying scripture when we identify what our questions are. So write them down. You have some questions like, open things that you're like, I've heard people say this, but I'm not sure if I really think that's right about, about what the word. Identify what your questions are and then come up with a plan to answer them. I'm really happy to help you. Um, like if you need resources, you have a particular question. Like I can't answer all of them. Like some of them, I'm just like, I really don't know. But especially like the big questions that are common, like there's a lot of resources out there and I'm really happy to help you. And, and the answers are in there. The answers are in the word. And the answers are, are you're gonna find them as you just are, are, are helped along by people who've gone there before you. But get the questions answered. Study the scriptures because again, if this thing is a mystery, if this thing, which is really supposed to be transforming my way of understanding my life right now, if it remains a mystery, then I'm leaving a lot on the table. Like, I'm leaving a lot of potential for satisfaction and deep connection with God and, like, experiencing his presence if I'm just leaving my questions unanswered. And I think a lot of us are afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I really... Um, I want us to be a church where we can safely ask difficult questions and not be judged. Like, I'm not going to judge you. Like, you have questions. Let's get them answered because I think there are answers. And then finally, a discipline which I think is, is I think we, it's not that we neglect it uh, in, in the American church, but we don't really understand it. Um, that's that we have this community-engaged way of, of approaching Scripture. Um, think about this for a second. Where did Jesus learn the scriptures? He didn't have like a pocket-sized Old Testament in his pocket. That didn't exist for like 1,800 years till after he died. So um, what did he do? He went to a place where his community had their one copy, probably, of these scrolls, and he read it with a bunch of other people who were reading it together. They would gather together in the synagogue and, and the rabbi and, and the scribes would, would read out scriptures. They would sit for hours and just read through scrolls and then they'd explain them a little bit. They did that together. Now we have this great technology, books and the internet, right? And we're able to do that in the privacy of our homes, which is convenient in your pajamas with your cup of coffee. That's nice, right? But we have to understand that the primary way that the church has historically studied scripture is in community. And I think we need to take account of the ways in which personalizing our engagement with scripture and making it a very private affair is actually damaging our faith. I really, do, I really think it's important that we gather together even on a beautiful day like today um, and open up the word together and think about what God is doing and, and study together, together. And the reason why is because that's how God has designed the church to function. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, this is what God's design for the church is. 
He, that is God himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So in in other words, what Paul is starting to explain here is that the church exists as an organism with different people who have different giftings, all for the purpose of everyone coming to a greater and fuller understanding of who Jesus is, right? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith, unity in the faith, believing together and in a knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That is like going to great lengths to explain that it's not just a little bit like, I believe the right things and I have my merit badges. It's uh, a, a maturity of faith that is measured by the fullness of Christ. Then when we do that, we will no longer be like children tossed by the wave and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Uh, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for the building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. This body image to describe what the church is is very common uh, in the New Testament. Paul uses it a couple different places. And the idea is exactly what it is. It's that there is a proper working of each individual part that's going to lead to health. I don't brush my teeth without the use of my hand. I haven't figured it out yet. I don't... I do comb my hair. I need my, my, my hands to do that, right? I need if, to, to, to get up out of my bed and go to work. I need my feet and my legs. In order for the body of Christ to be working properly, it involves connection one to another. It involves each person having unique gifts, which are the other people in the church are dependent upon which is uncomfortable and we don't like that idea, but it absolutely involves a degree of dependency. My teeth depend on my hand. The rest of my body depend on my feet. Without them, I would have to come up, I would have a disability, right? Without those things, I would have a disability. We would call that plainly what it is. And I believe that the church that isn't gathering together in community on a regular basis and like like people who are trying to pursue their faith alone are actually disabling themselves. And you know what? Like, I've been sort of hesitant to talk about that the last, I mean, I get it. Like, COVID has been weird and people are concerned. Um, and, and I'm not, like, guilt-tripping anybody. If you're at home and you're, especially if you have COVID right now, you know who you are. <laughs> I'm glad you're not here. Uh, no, yeah. Your, your job this morning was to stay home. Um, I'm not trying to guilt trip people like, like, or whatever, um, but I do, I cannot open up this thing, which is reality as God describes it, and not understand. Like, like I, would, I would have to be blind to not see that the church is a really important and the church is a gathered thing. It doesn't have to be a mega church, doesn't have to be a, a particular size, but it's community gathered together for the purpose of using the gifts to understand what God is doing and coming to fullness of maturity in Christ. And so, I would not be a good pastor if I didn't just point that out from time to time to you. So, I love that you're here, and I love that we can come and grow together. And, and the thing is, you don't come 
just for the teaching side, right? That's really important. Like there are teachers, like I, I, I get to be the person uh, because that's what God has called me to do, who, who gets to do some of the teaching. And we have some other teachers um, in the body and I'm, I'm hoping that we will have more and more uh, over time. And I'm thinking about putting together a little class for that. If that's something that interests you, uh, you can talk to me about that. Um, but there are also like some prophets, evangelists, pastors, apostles, people with varying degrees and callings that are existing to equip the saints for the works of ministry, which is to say that we gather not just for the teachers. There are other things going on, like as you guys are talking to each other, not, not involving the stage at all, right? But as you guys are communing together and fellowshipping together, you are able to use the gifts that you have, the callings that you have to encourage one another, to pray for one another. Maybe the Lord's going to tell you something. Like maybe you have the gift of prophecy, which some people are like, oh, that sounds weird. But you know, like I believe that God tells us things about one another to encourage each other, to spur one another on. We, we, we need each other in order to be entering into the fullness of maturity. And we cannot use those gifts properly if we're not around each other. That's just it. It's just a condition that needs to be met in order for us to meet this calling. And in order for us to experience what God really calls us to, God has arranged the church to be a place where we enter into truth, right? Not just a knowledge-based truth, but an experiential truth where God is working among us and we do that together. Where the spirit is working to bring about maturity in the church, maturity that's developed when we come to know Jesus together, right? A lot of times I feel like our, our, our faith uh, right, we, we do really well when we, we feel like God is working, right? When I feel like God is like, like doing things like I'm doing well, but then sometimes I go through dry periods in my faith, right? And I, and I find that I'm, I'm like not noticing or not seeing or not perceiving God to be working, and that's a discouraging thing. You know what always happens when, when bodies of Christians come together? Some people are seeing God work and some people aren't. And those who are, are giving testimonies to those who aren't and spurring those who are in dry seasons on. Like, like four-wheel drive car. If I'm trying to go up the pass, I'm trying to go up to a difficult place. And, and yeah, on Tuesday, like, because it snowed in the pass on Tuesday. Um, if I was trying to go up there, I would want drive in multiple wheels, right? Because some wheels are going to be getting traction. And some aren't. You guys are a bunch of wheels. We're going someplace together. Some of you guys are getting traction. Some of you aren't. But because some of us are getting traction, we're all getting carried along. We're all going to get to Cleelum and have a great day together, right? Um, the metaphor went too far. I apologize. Uh, look it. God is, that's how God operates. When we think that everything in my faith is always dependent upon me, like I'm putting a lot of stock in me. Jesus knew that, so he put us together, and he's going to be working in everybody. And so when I have a bad day or a month or a year, right, I can depend on you guys, and you can build me up, and you can, you can all get carried along, and we can all point each other to what God is doing. So as the worship team comes up, let's just pray. That's all I got to say. Um, we can be in the word, meditating upon it. We can be studying the word, digging in deep, asking the questions, and we can be together doing this work of faith, developing into maturity together. And I think that it's going to be awesome as we continue on and, and, and do this, guys. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited on what God is doing. Because um, you don't just need stories of God's faithfulness, right? We need them.
We need them all together. You don't just need to see that God is working. We all need to see it. And God is going to work among us as we, like he, he's promised it. If we come near to, to, to him, like uh, diligently pursue him, like he's faithful to be who he always is. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much. I thank you for your word. I thank you that we're invited to just step into it and to let it just cleanse us, Lord. Lord like like we, we need, like... Like the, the levels on which I am weak, God. From my energy to my understanding to my um, faithfulness, like all the things that are weaknesses in me, Lord. Lord, I think, God, even as I come to you, Lord, you by your spirit can overcome those things. Lord, you can let me die to myself and, and be alive to you and your purposes and your work, Lord. And, and you can make this place a place where people are doing exactly that, Lord where we're trusting in your faithfulness over everything else and we're building one another up and we're seeing you prove yourself to be exactly who you say you are. Lord, show us that. Lord, we don't want to just have right doctrine. And we'd like to have right doctrine, but not only those things. Lord, we want to know you. So come, Holy Spirit, Lord. Work in us. Work in this church, Lord. Do a work, we pray. Amen.